Greetings, everybody. Welcome to Flywheel, your number one source for everything Frax, DeFi, and everything in between. If you want to know what's going on in the world on chain, you've come to the right place. This is DeFi Dave here with Capital K, and we are here to help you harness the power of the Flywheel. We have balloons. We have cherry blossoms. We have it all this episode because we have Unrune. We have Unrune from MakerDAO. <laughs> and we're going deep legend. into the legend himself. Uh, and we go deep into Subdows this episode, where he's trying to introduce a new meta in his own words of, you know, how do how do we incentivize and or human beings and organize them in a manner that isn't, you know, that doesn't just turn into an insider click, just, you know, extracting all the value in funds. And like, how do we do that in a sustainable manner? And how can we get a more fluid system of contributors going instead of an ossified group of insiders. And I think that's really the main the points of this episode and like the main problem that Rune and his endgame proposal is trying to tackle. Um, and we go deep. And uh, Kit, what are your thoughts on this one? Dave, you know I normally don't really like these touchy-feely kind of pods, <laughs> but this is one of the few where I'm like, I got to pay attention because yeah. this is experimentation on a grand scale. Yeah. So like this, this was worth it. Yeah. And uh, he introduces this new concept called alignment engineering. And it's just like, how do we, you know, get all the components together um, to, in, in order to, for a DAO, for a protocol to continue perpetually, but, do, but doesn't get like, you know, crowded with insiders and whatnot. And I think that's like really, he goes into the definition of alignment engineering and all that fun stuff and everything in between. So make sure you pay attention to this episode because I feel like, you know, if subdials work out, then this is an episode that people are going to go back to. But if it doesn't work out, we're going to, people are gonna still go back to it and be like, hey, like, what went wrong? So I, I'm like really excited for this episode. Um, uh, Rune, thank you so much for coming on. And to make sure to catch all the episodes of Flywheel, you hit that bell button and subscribe to our YouTube. Leave us a comment. Let us know what you think. Give us a like. Uh, show us your support. Make sure to follow us on all our socials at Flywheel DeFi on Twitter, TikTok, and Telegram. Uh, if you want exclusive show notes, go down to our front tech for exclusive summaries and show notes. Make sure you subscribe to your news to our newsletter on our website, flywheeldefi.com. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at DeFiDave22. You can follow me at 0x capital underscore K. And let's get the flywheel spinning. Do you hold ETH but don't know what to do with it? Want to earn those juicy liquid staking derivative yields but don't know where to start? Well, FraxETH is there for you. FraxETH is Frax's native LSD solution, allowing you to earn boosted yields in multiple ways on your ETH. If you want to get started, go to app.frax.finance and turn your ETH into FraxETH today. All right, everyone. Welcome back to this special episode of Flywheel. I'm your host, DeFi Dave, here with Capital K. And this time around, we have... A very special guest. We go across the chain to our friend Rune, the founder of MakerDAO. Uh, he needs no introduction, uh, and he has a lot of big plans, especially with SubDAOs, which we're really going to get into here. Rune, thank you so much for coming on. Sure. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah. Uh, getting into it, uh, since, you know, for like the past few months, you know, we've been hearing about Endgame and specifically about sub DAOs and it's caused a lot of conversation um and i just want to really focus on that this episode and see how they play out into the future so for those that are unfamiliar like what is your definition of sub DAOs and how do you see it go um playing into uh the end game plan and 
and whatnot. Yeah, so I'm sure that there are, I mean, there probably isn't one single definition of subdows in general, although it definitely is mm -hmm. a general trend. Uh, like this, the basic mentality, the basic approach to, to what it is that's driving uh, what we're doing in Maker with subdials, and then what else? What else is doing right? And really fundamentally, I mean, I would ex I would say it's it's a like it's a method that enables scaling in DAOs by essentially subdividing uh, sort of areas of concern complexity into multiple smaller chunks, which gives a lot of really. I mean, there's a lot of really good advantages with this, and I think the really basic thing you can think about is um, what a lot of people say when they. Well, I mean, first people get into DAOs and then they're like all utopian about it. And then very quickly they see that mm -hmm. mostly it's a shit show, right? Most of the time it's terrible. <laughs> uh, it's just so disappointing for a lot of people to really get into mm -hmm. DAOs, right? And often the kind of the reaction is, look, it was fine when it was small. And then as soon as it gets big, it becomes terrible. And sub DAOs are kind of like, I mean, are, I mean, it's not by itself. It's obviously not a silver bullet, but it's, it's a pretty effective tool that just simply achieves this of like, what if we could just keep the DAO small, right? So the sort of the overall ecosystem can grow, but if you have this ability to subdivide yourself into sub DAOs, then one of these negative dynamics of it gets worse when it gets bigger uh, can be kind of held at bay. Um, but of course, I mean, there are so many more uh, advantages and some more aspects to it, right? There's specialization, right? So you can have a DAO that can do many different things because it has each sub DAO really only has one thing it focuses on. So it doesn't get super confused or distracted. Um, there is like, uh, I mean, one of the things I'm really excited about to, to test out in Maker, right? Is like saying of like sort of the vibes, right? The community culture that you can have a single ecosystem with sub DAOs that are very kind of serious and others that are very playful and more like social clubs really than, you know, financial um organizations right um yeah for sure um yeah go ahead well so i mean in conclusion overall more than anything else because of the stage we're at in crypto and in DeFi and with DAOs, uh we still don't know what really works right and so what sub DAOs are more than anything else really uh, for sure going to do is facilitate a lot of experimentation uh, in maker we yeah. often one of the things that that are really I often describe as a really like the superpower of sub DAOs in Maker is that they can fail, they can die. Uh, the problem with Maker is it's this big, you know, really structurally important bureaucratic uh, machine, right? And it has so much process and so much bureaucracy that's all based around this fact that it, it simply cannot fail and it can't even like get close to failing. And, and that, yeah, that, I mean, that holds it back a lot for very good reasons, right? Um, and with sub DAOs, it's like, it's the opposite. Like they're sort of designed around when they fail, it's fine. Uh, and, and you just keep making more of them. So you actually want them to fail kind of, because you want them to actually take the kind of risks and, and do the kind of experiments that could put them in danger of failing, uh, because that's how you really can innovate a lot. And that's how you can learn new things. And then the next generation can, can learn both from the successes, but then actually also uh, maybe just as importantly from the failures, right? And learn what not to do. Yeah, it sounds like there's a natural equilibrium with DAOs. And you're talking about that on the last podcast you ever had. Like, naturally over time, the amount of sub DAOs that will be in a certain ecosystem will reach a point where it's 
just it's just balanced and sometimes maybe it's just like we don't know what that number is for maker maybe it's like a few maybe it's 10 who knows but the point of sub it sounds like it allows for experimentation in ways that just having one monolithic main DAO wouldn't have because as the main DAO scales over time it becomes bureaucratic there's politics there's infighting but in a way these sub also formalize uh the debates and clashes that would happen instead of everything happening for like oh like everything take all in one main DAO. there's all these different separate sub DAOs, uh you know fight like in competition but in competition in a constructive manner yeah totally i mean that's another that's well, I mean, there's a sort of, I mean, I guess there's an aspect to what you're talking about here, right? Of this thing of like the conflicts, the politics of DAOs um, that are that are definitely very interesting with sub-DAOs and also some of the other constructs we use in Maker. So sub-DAOs is one of them, but we also use this same idea in other cases. And that is, that is this idea that like, I mean, I mean, overall, you know, I've just learned from my time in crypto that humans are super difficult to deal with, right? And you sort of come into crypto with this like idealistic, view of you just need to write some code and then it's all going to be utopia but the reality is it's so much harder to deal with humans because they do some terrible things basically or they, they act in really stupid ways and and one thing that always happens is this stuff with like personal conflict personal sort of enmity like you'll just have people in social groups social structures social hierarchies and some of them will just not like that does not like each other. And it's kind of a self reinforcing thing because you use it to sort of establish, you know, you define yourself in opposition to something else. So it's just total natural human behavior that you get these tribes, cliques. And I mean, we, and we see it everywhere in crypto even, right? It's, it's kind of embarrassing, honestly, right? That, that it's <laughs> crypto is really, it's no, it's no different than uh, PlayStation versus Xbox, right? With, uh, with a bunch of nerds fighting over what the their favorite blockchain technology is, right? But but this is this is simply human nature. And so well, and so to your point, right, is that another thing that subdows achieve is that we kind of accept, you know, we don't gloss over this and sort of pretend that humans are, you know, are better than they are in a sense, right? We actually sort of try to meet this kind of natural dynamic and make it more constructive, right? I mean, it's a lot more fun to to be be tribalistic uh, and and be sort of enemies in a in a video game, right? That's sort of designed to be competitive, and and there's like there's a level playing field, and there are rules, and you know, like that's actually fun, right? Whereas it's super super frustrating if it's in like a freaking office, right? And you're like playing office politics with some some other corporate types, right? So subdows is kind of us attempting also to make it feel less like a corporate office and, and super depressing and actually more like, okay, there's got to be groups that want to compete. So let's give them some fair rules. Let's give them some structure. Let's give them some boundaries so they don't go out of bounds and start, you know, sort of um, just racing to the bottom and, and kind of self-destructing the whole thing. But instead, actually, let's channel that competitive drive and that tribalistic instinct towards one-upping each other, right? And out competing, out growing, out marketing, uh, and through that, then actually benefiting the whole ecosystem. So, which then also means because of the nature of sub DAOs, right? All sub DAOs are connected to the main DAO, right? The core DAO. Uh, as a result, if two DAO, sub DAOs compete with each other and one totally owns the other one and just has massive success, I mean, actually, the sort of the loser in this situation will also benefit, right? Because 
the main DAO yeah. is going to benefit from the event, you know, from the, like the upside of one sub DAO is going to flow to the core DAO, which then flows to the other sub DAO. But of course, to a lesser extent, right? I mean, uh, because you need to, to, you know, credit where it's due, right? It needs to be those who actually do the work that gets the vast majority of the benefit. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like everything you're saying here is a part of something you mentioned called alignment engineering and a way to bring constructive participation to ecosystems. So what is your, is that true? And um, on top of that, what is your definition of alignment engineering and how it relates to uh, DAOs and sub DAOs? Yeah, so exactly. I mean, it's exactly this um, thought of, of uh, aligning incentives between people, right? So, I mean, so alignment engineering is uh, like, it's, you know, it's just, it's just a term I made up to describe what in the real world people usually call Hell organizational yeah. design, right? So organizational design is like a very, um, yeah, sort of very, it's just an established field and, you know, you have a lot of like gurus and a lot of thought leaders in, in this field. And like the thing about it is that, I mean, the thing about DAOs is that they're, so they're a bit different from normal organizations because of their radical transparency which does result in, in my, I mean, in my opinion, a bit like there's a bit more, the kind of the issues with humans and, and the, the, the kind of the, the bad habits of humans uh, tend to, to, to show up more and be a little bit more difficult to deal with in a DAO compared to a regular organization. Because basically you don't ha I mean, in a normal organization, you do always have the bus that can just sort of fix things, right? Um, in a in a in a DAO, the kind of the overarching politics and the overarching sort of social and political dynamic of a DAO is actually more reminiscent of like national like a democracy in national politics because it's all public, right? Like instead of having the boss, you've got this court of public opinion that very often is is uh, is kind of a very major factor, um, and. So, and so to handle that, I mean, you just need to be very like that. Just, what it just means is that you, you need to, um, you really need to dis, I mean, to the extent you can engineer like hard, well, soft and hard mechanisms that try to, uh, basically push people towards doing stuff that's aligned. So things that are, that are good and that benefit the DAO as a whole versus what they sort of, you know, what most people are really trying to do, which is just do whatever benefits themselves. Like you want to sort of align those two things, right? You want to be, make it so that even if you're, a, you're an asshole that doesn't give a shit about anybody, uh, the best course of action <laughs> should be to do something that benefits the DAO because that's how you're going to get paid or something like that, right? And you really want to build that mm -hmm. to the extent possible into kind of the, the mechanisms of the DAO, right? You don't want to, I don't know, tell someone an inspirational slogan and then hope that that's going to convince them, right? You want to sort of make it very yeah. much let's engineer uh, a mechanism that, that tries to achieve this alignment, right? And so, okay, so the simplest example of this, right? I mean, that is used all the time in the real world is something like, um, you know, stock options in a startup or something like that, right? I mean, that's a perfect basic example of what I would call like alignment engineering, right? Of you, you give people some stock, so now they got, now they have an ownership, now they got an upside. Uh, so they're not, I mean, primarily the employees but of course, they also uh, now they're also a little bit like the owners. So now they should be a little bit more aligned with the owners, right? And um, so in a in a like 
what I mean, the the the, the biggest and most important uh, sort of alignment engineering, uh, um, you know, how do you call it, uh, approach or, or like uh, plan, basically strategy. In, yeah, yeah, with 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 Maker and the subdows is this thing then of do you have a different token uh, for each subdow, right? So you have a you have a bunch of subdows. They all have their own tokens. Um, and then all of these subdows, as they work with contributors who are working for those subdows, who are who are getting paid to do to do stuff, right? To to market the subdow, to build new features for it. Um, then you can pay them in those tokens. And so what you what you're doing is you're creating this very sort of tight feedback loop, right? Where if mm-hmm. like if you think about like a, I mean, and this is what happened in Maker, right? Is that you have this giant DAO uh, with a huge amount of contributors. And everybody was getting, I mean, so we were using this, like the basic trick, the basic alignment engineering trick of give everybody some tokens because that's going to make them token holders. So that's going to get them a little bit aligned. But the problem was just that the DAO is just so so big that you don't really care about your tokens if you're just like a drop in the pond, right? Like uh, ultimately what, you know, the impact that, you know, a single team would have on Maker uh didn't really matter that much, and you could you wouldn't be able to like sort of I don't know what to call it right. You wouldn't be able to feel it in your token holdings if you screwed up or you get a, did a really good job the yeah. vast majority of times, right? Because it's just too big. Um, and so with the subdials, by sort of chopping it up into small pieces, suddenly it's like, well, maybe you hold several percent of the subdials tokens now, um, and you're a single contributor. And it's really like if you make some like a, a breakthrough new product that's gonna really, uh, you know, uh, allow the subdow to onboard, a, you know, a lot of new users that nobody else can get to or something like that. I mean, that could really make, that could really, you know, have a much bigger um, uh, upside for you than your, you know, the, the cash uh, compensation you're getting for doing that work, right? So yeah. now suddenly there is this, yeah, there's this more like, I mean, you're sort of, at, you're putting that skin in the game and you're giving, you're letting people think more, I mean, you're, you're trying to eliminate this sort of robotic thinking of, I need to do whatever the sort of the system wants me to do so I get paid. And you start to instead think like, what can I do so that I create value for the system because I own a part of the system. And if I create value for the system, I'm going to get some of that value for myself. Right. And that's, yeah. yeah, I mean, if you can harness that in people, that's that's a real superpower, right? Because I mean, that's kind of the fact that the, I mean, the principal agent problem, this kind of disconnect uh, between uh, what you sort of what people are supposed to do and then what they actually do, that is like the bane of of, the, of every single organization, basically. Yeah, this actually leads to my next question very well. With uh, like, why should why do subdot tokens need to exist? Why? How do they attain? How do they accrue value over time in a long-term, sustainable manner? Because so many times you see like different organizations they spin out a token and like ecosystem in an ecosystem, but it's just it's kind of flat. So how do you ensure that the token is actually valuable and worth something? It's not just a token to release a token. Yeah. Uh, so uh, so uh, the great thing about Maker. Really, what what sets us apart from everyone else is that we are one of the only projects that have always just been focused on generating value first, right? And no, no messing around, right? Like, there's no like, I mean, um, there's no like equity or company or something behind it, right? Like, it's only always been everything that the the the, 
the Mega Project has focused on has always just been to develop a, a valuable ecosystem and a valuable network, and then uh, have that network uh, able to govern itself and capture the value itself through the token and through the community that, that holds this token, right? Um, and, and the way the value is generated is ultimately through the delivery of real value to the end user, right? Through the, the ability to, to have a stable coin and then also the ability to, to get the yield from the stable coin, right? Um, and so, I mean, that's what we're trying to then scale up with the subdials, right? This basic ability to, to generate real value for end users and then uh, sort of um, essentially take a cut of that value for the for the I guess you could say the service of delivering that to the end user, right? So there's actually I mean there are uh, there are a lot of ways to generate value in crypto. Um, there also a, I mean there's also a lot of ways that people thought they could create value and it turns out they couldn't, right? So so the the potential and like the universe of possibilities in in crypto and in DeFi is definitely a lot smaller than people were imagining let's say in the last bubble or something like that, right? And I think at this point, it's pretty clear that the absolute, I mean, uh, dominant and by far the best business model of all is just the basic stablecoin model, right? Um, so, uh, but but so basically the idea is then that, so the ecosystem as, I mean, the core DAO, right? The maker call um, focuses simply on, um, creating this very basic stablecoin uh, sort of um, functionality, right? And then, I mean, and this is a key feature of the whole, this end game uh, structure, right? With subdials and the core DAO is that the core DAO really only does very little something and it, very specifically is maintaining this uh, stablecoin product. And then it is uh, creating and regulating the subdials and nothing else. So it simply cannot change. Like it can't, create a new product or pivot or do something. I mean, that's totally impossible for it. It, it can only let all of that happen uh, through the subdials, right? So it's basically sort of saying, look, we're all sharing this, the cornerstone of this, this very powerful basic business model, which is a stable coin, but then everything you want to build on top of that, that's going to be essentially um, sort of, uh, I mean, left open for the subdials to build and, and, uh, and generate value from. Um, and so, I mean, so, um, I, I, typically I, I, I sort of split up the past, I mean, the kind of the, the, ver I mean, like the business models, the different opportunities for subdials into, you could say three different, uh, categories, right? So the first one is just the really, really basic, uh, user growth, user acquisition, marketing, essentially. Um, and that is like the most basic functionality of subdials. So that's that also goes back to the thing I was talking about at the beginning of like culture and vibes and like what that also very much means is brand. That subdials more than anything else, they're always focused on trying to create a distinct brand that targets a distinct demographic that then allows them to build a, a user base and a coherent community and try to get that into like a flywheel of basically an active user base that that uses the product, right? And the most basic product that they provide is always the stablecoin product, right? So the very the core DAO has a stablecoin and the sub DAO has essentially the front end to the uh, to the stablecoin. 
Um, and then the most basic thing the subdao tries to do is to try to attract people to use the stablecoin. And then, uh, you know, as a, I guess you could say as alignment engineering or more like, it's just like completely standard uh, business, right? There is this, um, this thing called, this system called the accessibility uh, reward, basically. So what that means is the core DAO tracks which subdaos are attracting users to the stablecoin and then basically gives them a bit of like a little cut essentially. So kind of like paying for, um, paying for bringing in users. Right. Um, and so that is like, I mean, that business model alone, uh, is actually enough to sort of, uh, justify the existence of a sub really, um, in theory, yeah. you could have a sub that so only does that and then has no expenses and just tries to bring in users to its, to like a decentralized front end that is, that is simple and just is like, it's a stable coin. Uh, you know, it does what you expect it to, right? And so what KPIs would be used for user acquisition, you think? Well, so it is entirely the die supply, right? You're trying to grow um, the stable mm -hmm. supply, right? That's the key product. That's everything you're looking at, right? And I mean, okay, and so there's a whole extra aspect to this, which is that, uh, I mean, so of course, now Maker is really popular um, and it's like one of the only uh, projects in crypto that's growing, right? And that's because um, the DAO basically, uh, well, so first sort of paved the way uh, on the regulatory front by, uh, you know, it blocking Americans and various other uh, jurisdictions. Right. And then when that was done, <laughs> then um, it was, you know, it was, it was uh, the, the die savings rate, the yield you can get from holding die was then set to 5%, right? So now you can get a really good yield, a really attractive yield uh, from using DAI today. And this ability to get a yield on your, on, I mean, you can, it's not just stability, it's also a yield, but it's a, I mean, but it's a stable, safe yield, right? That's a, I mean, that's a big uh, kind of value add to the basic stable coin model, right? Um, but what we really, where we really want to go is we want to, we want to, I mean, get a lot more creative about how can we actually attract people into crypto? How can we make it? How can we appeal to get more people to use it, right? And that's where we, I mean, we're basically looking at things like DeFi summer, right? Where you saw, what is it people think is funny about crypto and DeFi? Well, they like yield farming, right? Uh, it's actually a pretty cool innovation that you can give people yield in something more than just a boring cash. You can give people yield in volatile tokens, right? And what that's doing is just sort of gamifying the experience of saving money. Um, of course, in practice, DeFi Summer, the problem was then most of it was Ponzi's, right? So it wasn't really saving. It was like it was like a false promise, right? It didn't really do what it, what it could have done something amazing, but it didn't really end up doing it. But now we're trying to sort of deliver uh, the true potential of that. And, and the way it all comes together is because the subdaws themselves, right? They all have their own tokens. And all of these tokens are then distributed through yield farming to the holders of the stablecoin, right? So, um, so that's what very often people will come to subdaos specifically for the reason of farming the tokens of the subdaos, right? And again, this is just the absolute basic product of we're just providing access to this very, very basic but very powerful and solid business model of a stablecoin, um, and already that by itself is creating real value. Uh, and is giving the, the subdaos basically a reason to exist and a real 
sort of economic ability to sustain themselves because if they bring in users, then they get um, this accessibility reward and that allows them to then pay contributors to, uh, I mean, pr return value to the token holders and, uh, and, and, and innovate and experiment with new stuff. And so that's got it. driving demand. Then there is um, driving supply, you could say. So that is this much more complex uh, challenge of deploying the collateral for the stablecoin, right? So the other side of a stablecoin business is what do you do? So people are coming with their money and sort of saying, I would like, to, I would like the DAO to keep my capital safe and stable. Then the DAO has to figure out, well, where to actually, how to allocate this capital out to actually make it safe and stable, right? Um, and nowadays uh, in Maker, and I think, I mean, yeah, basically all um, stable coins that have really scaled, this is all based on, on deploying into real assets or, you know, or you talk about centralized stable coins that are just, you know, entirely based on, on, uh, on the financial system, right? So it's mostly it's a case of deploying capital out into the financial system, into things like treasuries um, and other uh, safe assets, basically, in safe jurisdictions with good legal structures. Uh, but also it can be like deploying it into something like a protocol like Aave or of course like uh, Spark protocol, which is uh, one of the, the sub DAOs as well that does basically, that does mm -hmm. this native crypto uh, lending. But anyway, so the sub DAOs fit into this in this basic model where the idea is that the core shouldn't be spending too much time or too much energy in this. Instead, uh, it sort of outsources it to the sub DAOs so, uh, so the so maker call basically stops entirely doing kind of, um, you know, giving giving uh, sort of retail end users the ability to generate DAI, and instead entirely lets this ability sit with the subdows. So the subdows are the only ones who can generate DAI, and then in turn the subdows can go out and they can generate DAI, access DAI from maker, and then they can lend out this DAI to end users in all sorts of ways, right? So they can be a lot more. Um, flexible uh, and fast in how they uh, provide access to this um, uh, credit, essentially this this uh, capital allocation. Um, and then beyond that, I mean, so these two, so the driving demand or sort of uh, managing and deploying the supply are the two business models that are very closely tied to make a call itself and the, the possibilities that exist when you have a, a big established stablecoin uh, which is the case with Maker. But the last uh, possibility is simply also that subdials can also do anything else they feel like doing. So they can also do completely separate business models, right? They can they can look at what's what's the hot new thing in the space and they can try to copy that or or make a variation of it. Or they can like invent their own new, completely new things, right? They can, I don't know, do NFTs, uh, derivatives, platforms or something. Uh, front ends that actually provide access to other protocols, not just uh, make or call, but also anything else. Um, really just whatever is going to make them money, right? But the, the key driver is, I mean, they will, they're small, uh, they have small teams and they have limited resources. So they've got to be smart about what they do, right? I mean, they can't just uh, do a bunch of moonshots and then waste all the money. I mean, if they do that, then they simply run out of money and possibly fail, right? And in that you know, so that creates this illusionary pressure I was talking about where like, basically like, we'll see what works essentially. Right. We can't know in advance and we are creating a kind of a, 
an environment where, I mean, the market and the market participants themselves can try to figure it out. Got it. And, and Rune, just to summarize, you said there are effectively three types of sub-DAOs. The first one being very basic targeting and growth and user acquisition. Second one being a bit more hands-on with the collateral. And third is almost this blank canvas. As a startup, you could do anything you want with the business. You can chase whatever moonshot or whatever is the flavor of the, the month. Those are effectively the three sub-DAO types. Is that accurate to say? So it's actually not three different types so that as a subtitle, you have to pick one of the three types. Rather, these are the three broad spaces of opportunity that exist for every subtitle. Uh, so the only sure. type of business model that every subtitle has to do is the first one to, to try to drive demand because they're nothing without the community. So they have to build a community. They have to build a user base. And if they can't do that, then uh, they will wither and die basically. But whether they want to go beyond that and try to also make a business out of deploying collateral or developing new products, um, that's then, uh, I mean, that's up to the sub-DAO. That's up to the token holders, right? Um, and of the you know four initial gotcha. um, sub-DAOs that we are bootstrapping, um, we're kind of, we're trying to kind of give them this initial momentum that, that differentiates each of them so that they each are kind of, focusing on different aspects of this, right? So some are more focused on demand, some are more, you know, uh, some are more focused on, on supply and some are more focused on, on the innovation that goes completely beyond um, any of this. So that in the end, we'll see what, I mean, we'll see what works in each category. Um, and then future additional subtitles that are created can then build on top of that. Understood. And just another question, if it's so much more better with better upside working at a sub DAO, who would opt to work at the core DAO? Uh, so actually, this is another really, I mean, I'm so excited to, to kind of <laughs> like um, tackle this problem of contributors in DAOs, which I think today is horribly broken, basically. Because uh, you have this like, really bad model of a bunch of insiders that are kind of sort of like full-time employees or something. And, and they have this, I mean, often they've got a kind of a political stranglehold uh, because the way the DAO works is just like a, it's like a tap. And then if you open the tap, it just spills out money. And then it's like game of Thrones, like who controls the tap of, of free money. Right. Um, <laughs> and so, and so what I really want to achieve is like, I think, I mean, I think it's complete. You shouldn't, I mean, a DAO, just the contributors to a DAO isn't the DAO. Like the DAO is the community, the token holders and the contributors are actually somewhat like separate, but that's really not, I mean, today it's kind of the opposite, right? Like the way a DAO works most of the time now is the contributors, they sort of sit, they, con they got the money tap and then they sort of got the call and they got the insider telegram groups or whatever they got. And then the token holders are like standing in a circle and complaining and bitching, right? But they don't know what to do. And I mean, they're also sort of, uh, you know, they've got like a victim mentality, Carlos. right? And expect the whole yeah. team to, to, um, I mean, you're right. There's also, there's this sort of uh, apathetic attitude as well from token holders, right? That they actually don't really want to solve the problems themselves. They do expect, to, like they complain about the core teams being centralized, but they don't actually take any action themselves to, to change that, right? So what do we try, I mean, and we, we need to achieve this dynamic both in make a call and in the sub right? It's a dynamic where 
first of all, the token holders are just more sort of put front and center as they have to actually run the thing. Like you can't, you know, because of the, the basic concept of the principal agent problem, right? That like you can't, if you hire somebody to do something for you, like the reality is they'll do whatever's best for themselves, which may be doing something that's going to get them paid. But like you can never, like you can never substitute somebody else for your own interest, uh, especially when it's like a really important uh, thing, right? Where a lot of stuff is at stake. So like as a DAO cannot exist unless its token holders, its community are actively involved in its operation, right? And and are understand how it works. And I mean, also have that access. I mean, that's another problem, right? That today you don't even know, even if you wanted to understand how DAO works, you wouldn't be able to, because it's all like arcane and hidden away. And that's, we're solving that through various methods, right? Of making it simpler, making, and especially making it a lot more transparent and a lot more accessible. Um, and then, the, and if you can achieve this, you can put kind of the community in the center rather than the contributors in the center. Um, then what that means is now, I mean, now the contributors are in a completely different world where they don't, it's not like the DAO is no longer defined by its contributors. Um, and that means as, as sort of like almost like a commodification of uh, contribution, right? In the sense that a contributor is not a political agent that runs the show, right? A contributor is somebody who gets paid to do something specific, right? Um, anyway, so, and so where I'm going with all this, right, is that what this means now is now a contributor does not have to be, um, you know, uh, totally locked to a single DAO. In fact, you kind of, you really want the opposite. I mean, you really want a very liquid, uh, open marketplace, right, where contributors, they contribute all over the place. Like they, you know, I mean, if you're DAO, you want something done, you want to just hire the best to do that job. Uh, and on, and if you're a contributor, you're also like, I mean, you want to work for which, whichever can give you the best work that's available to you right now. Um, and traditionally, that's not how the dynamic exists in a DAO, right? It's like whoever's in the DAO, they'll just try to do, they'll, whatever work exists, they'll try to find a way for them to do it, right? Because they don't have an alternative, right? Uh, and the DAO like doesn't, you know, it's so scary and risky to to get new contributors in because as soon as they're in, you can't get them out again. That they don't want to work with new contributors either, right? Mm -hmm. And and in this paradigm where the community is at the center and contributors are kind of managed and 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 somewhat detached from the the central control of the DAO, uh, you can really have. I mean, you can basically it's more it's like a drive by thing kind of right where like there's a project, contributor comes, they do the project, and they get paid, and it's over. And if they did it well, well, then maybe they'll do another project. Or in fact, some other sub DAO mm -hmm. will come and, and be like, whoa, that was great. We did it for those guys. We'll pay you double if you do this other thing. And you can get this competitive dynamic on both sides, right? Um, so, so you're anyway, basically so, creating so, this. To, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah just to, to answer the, the, the question about yeah. why would someone work for the core or for the sub DAO, right? The core. So the answer is in this kind of liquid market, basically, um, it's going to be uh, like you can, it's just, I mean, it's a matter of, of finding the right uh, compensation that's going to get people to want to do work, right? So if the core is like, needs something done and nobody wants to do the job because they're all working for subdials and the subdials are paying them in tokens and they, they want to get tokens. I mean, then what the core has to do is it has to pay a higher cash rate, right? And then just like pay a lot of cash to get the work done. Um, and also ideally, I mean, in all cases, the core ideally does not want to get, do much work, 
right? Because, I mean, also because, yeah, it will be expensive, right? Because it can, it'll only pay in cash. It won't pay in mm -hmm. tokens. And the people who are, are willing to bid and sort of attempt to, to uh, be considered to do those projects typically are people in the crypto space that are often interested in tokens. But also, I, I mean, there's also like family people with... that, that, want, that want cash, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, that, it's a thing that people like to get paid cash. So I'm sure there will be contributors as well. Yeah. For the, for the call they're just not yeah. anons behind anime pictures yeah they have families yeah. too <laughs> they're, they're 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 pfp with children uh but my i thought this was a pretty interesting dichotomy because for the core dao you kind of want them to be commoditized contributors you want anyone can just hop in and just do the job and be done with it but for the individual sub DAOs, you want them to be highly motivated and highly talented and non-commoditized, high talented, high performant individuals to do that. I think this is a pretty radical change in the DAO um, dynamics that I haven't seen play out yet, where you want the core to have commoditized workforce, whereas the sub DAOs to have really high talent performers. So actually, it's not necessarily, I mean, uh, most of the time, subtitles are probably the same that, I mean, if you're just trying to do some basic action in a subtitle, um, you're not necessarily, I mean, generally, you. I mean, it's just never a good idea for a DAO to be in a situation where they've got all their eggs in one basket and they're relying on just a single uh, contributor. But it's more, I mean, even if the marketplace is more liquid and you can, there are multiple contributors you can deal with, uh, people can still likely get, I mean, there's still a thing that you can get paid in tokens, right? Because I mean, if you think you're, the, you're a good developer and you're going, doing a good job and you're going to create value for a, for a sub down, then it's cool to get get paid in tokens, right? And if you get if you're getting paid in tokens and the tokens are locked for like a year or something, that's going to result in some alignment engineering where like you're now you're going to be interested in actually making sure the thing you build is going to generate some value over the next year, so your tokens will be valuable. Uh, from then but yeah i mean overall i mean i would really um you know my hope is absolutely that we just move away from this concept of like elite guru you know main character uh team team members in the house because it's it, it's simply i mean it like it works in the real world uh in a way uh i mean because there's accountability right because there's fiduciary duty so like you can't abuse that kind of position in the real world in the same way you can in a DAO. Like in a DAO, it's just so easy to abuse something like that. Uh, and we've seen it just over and over again, right? Um, so uh, I don't, So basically, yeah, in the long run, I, I, I don't really think uh, you can, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's healthy uh, or safe really to, to have a lot of that dynamic. I mean, if you're gonna have something like that, then what it should be is it should be like it should be on the community side, on the on the governance side, right? That you've got token holders that have a lot of tokens and that are very vocal and care a lot about the sub DAO and so on, right? But but then I mean they I mean then they should be just be token holders, right? Like as soon as you're getting paid, then you've got to be very careful about um, uh, you know like the I mean basically the political dynamics and the the, the conflict of interest and all this stuff that's in play, right? That that, that basically means that that. Mm -hmm. There needs to be some kind of defense mechanism against, um, you know, very powerful, well-connected, deeply embedded contributors that are again, you know, sitting with the the money uh, uh, funnel, right? That they can turn on and then out yeah, comes so some money, right? If, 
If I had to rephrase what you're saying, the main problem with DAOs now is that contributors are also politicians. And because they're also politicians, they control the tap and they are obviously self-interested actors. What you're trying to do is separate is basically separate the contribute contributor from the politics, bring the politics back to where it belongs with the token holders and put the contributors back to where their focus should be, which is uh, contributing and being high performant for the DAO. And oftentimes you see contributors aren't the best politicians and politicians aren't the best contributors. So if there's a way to separate the two. And But at the same time, if the contributor is, you know, gaining tokens and gaining power, how do you, um, you know, how do you make sure that, you know, the separation like the wall between contributor and politician and politics stays um, like separate between the two. Yeah. So of course it's unfortunate. I mean, it's not as simple as, as you put it right. I mean, because of course contributors will always have to be yeah. politicians and like there's, yeah, it's just, unfortunately the world isn't as simple uh, as so. So it's always going to be a mess. Yeah. Right. But, but hopefully it will be less of a mess with proper alignment engineering. Less of a mess. Um, and, yeah. Yeah. Less of a mess, right? Uh, I mean, humans are just messy, and you just gotta gotta accept that. But uh, this basic thing you're talking about here, right? Of like, how do you protect against basic conflict of interest? And then again, I mean, essentially the answer is alignment engineering. And so in Maker and SubDAOs, I mean, this is something we're really putting a major emphasis on. Like, really, a lot of these like edge cases, like of how things can sort of spin out of control. Um, so. Uh, the basic idea is that there are there are these essentially like fundamental rules that just supersede everything else that you can't even like vote like it doesn't matter if you have a majority of tokens there are certain rules you cannot break uh, and and some basic stuff related to that would be something like I mean if you you know if you're a contributor and you're getting paid you cannot vote for the proposal that I mean you gotta completely abstain and stay the hell out of any kind of decision related to paying yourself, right? And if you're found to do it anyway, or if you like are s sneakily doing it somehow, or there's just any kind of like evidence that you're doing some shady stuff and you're getting paid, uh, it doesn't matter. I mean, you will like, you'll, it's, you know, you'll get sort of blacklisted by the system, right? You'll be like, um, you'll be, uh, I mean, designated as, as uh, what I call misaligned, right? Like essentially, there's there's now clear indication that, um, you know, you're dangerous to the system, right? If you do something like that, and the system needs, and I mean, it, yeah. So this dynamic is a big problem in DAOs today because what happens today when if a DAO sort of catches somebody being dangerous, essentially, right, and sort of showing signs of actually being willing to do like bad stuff for their own benefit. Um, because you can't do anything about it, you're screwed anyway. Like token holders are totally you know, neutered, right? They can't do anything in a DAO, right? Uh, as a result, you get this like Stockholm syndrome kind of thing where people just make excuses for it and sort of hide it essentially, like look away and like, you know, say something like, you know, recommend no more news like this, right? Let's just pretend it's not happening. So <laughs> bad news doesn't come out, so, you know, so we benefit the price or whatever, right? For the sake and, of and our it, industry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And what it should be is the opposite, right? It should be like, there should be this very clear protocol of like, which I often refer to as the immune system, right? That anytime something that is dangerous to the DAO, to the system, I mean, the regular person, sort of the 
retail uh, token holder should really have the capability to identify this kind of behavior and actually take forceful action against it, right? Uh, where the kind of the facts, like the evidence itself is what matters. And it, it doesn't matter if you've got a bunch of tokens. Uh, if the evidence, or, I mean, if you, I don't know, voted for your own compensation, then you just, I mean, you're like, you're done. I mean, you, you know, you can't, we, like, uh, uh, I guess you can't, you know, you can't get to the point where you take people's tokens, right? So there's a whole, unfortunately, and this is the thing, right? It's not simple because there's a whole extra layer to this where anything you, you know, any tool you create to try to make things better, right? To like fix the problems and, and like to basically like to use it to essentially, um, you know, mitigate bad actors. Those tools themselves can of course also be used and wielded by the bad actors, right? So yeah, it's a balance as well, right? But essentially you wanna, I mean, this basic thing of like, you wanna ban and, and really like strike down uh, um, and cut off uh, contributors doing obvious conflict of interest. That's, I guess that's a very simple one, right? Um, and yeah, I mean, then from there, you just go from there. You just try to make as many rules as possible, right? So you want to sort of have these kind of rules in advance so that when the, when the time comes, it's like, here are the facts, uh, here are the rules, you know, what are we, you know, is it right or is it wrong? Uh, that's, you know, I mean, that should be determined as objectively as possible. And it shouldn't matter if the person who did it are well connected to a bunch of Twitter influencers or something, or if they have a bunch mm -hmm. of tokens or whatever, right? Like the fundamental question is, it's, it's minority token holder protection, right? It's, it's something that looks like, uh, that plays the role of like the fiduciary duty and like the, the investor protections that exist in the real world, right? You need to, to try to emulate that in a DAO. Yeah, and this doesn't just count for contributors, but also, you know, people farming, as well and people participating in the system you mentioned uh in a previous interview how you can farm the new gov token uh when that comes out but if you farm it and you dump it you're not allowed to go into the the risk-free rate of the new stable is that correct and is that like the same kind of thinking you're having here yeah, well yeah so that's just a really basic uh way that subdao token farming works right so it's, it's mutually exclusive so like if you're farming one subdao then you can't farm another one uh and if you're farming any subdao you can't get the die savings rate um so no so i think what you're referring to is some kind of like so um yeah and also i saw this from your questions right so actually it's simpler than you think like it's um like the system simply uh, is fully designed to handle the scenario where people are farming the subdao tokens and selling them like that's like supposed. I mean, that's a that's supposed to happen. That's a feature of the system, uh, and the reason why that's totally fine and that's not gonna like rip off the system and make it bleed out all the money and lose all the money, is because when you farm the subdao token, you're not getting the actual cash yield of your mm. die stablecoin, right? Instead, that cash yield essentially goes to, um, yeah. I mean, you would say essentially that cash yield makes yeah, up for uh, the tokens that are being dumped, right? So, so you could also think of it as when you farm a subdot token, you're just getting a cash yield and using that to buy a token, which is, I mean, it's not exactly what's happening, but it, it's a way to think about it, to understand why it's economically sustainable and, and why it's sort of possible to, yeah, to scale up and, and, and you don't have to like, you know, you can assume the worst from humans basically, and then, 
the worst case scenario of what happens with this uh, setup is basically that the sub DAOs just kind of don't really do anything. Like they're just like wrappers around cash anyway. And it's just all the same basic business model of a stable coin um, delivered in different, I guess you could say uh, color schemes or something like that. But, but underneath it's all the same thing. Um, but if we're lucky, there is something more, right? There is some ability to achieve uh, alignment, with, you know, in new and interesting communities that can create this kind of community spirit, right? That can sort of uh, generate what we call intangible value, right? That despite the fact that it's all just the same money, it's all the same business model, there's no, I mean, um, you know, until some real work is happening or real work is getting done or real products are being created, you can't create value out of nothing. But just getting the right people together in this, the right place and applying some basic alignment engineering to them, that can actually at least set the stage for the future creation of real value, right? And then that's what we call intangible value. Mm. Um, and that's what you see with something. I mean, I mean, I would, you know, something like Bitcoin is a is a really crazy example of intangible value, right? That like, there's actually no, like, the value isn't really real, but it's the value exists because you got all the right people in the right place, basically, you know, at a epically huge scale worldwide, right? And then that results in 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 Bitcoin actually having uh, real value, and and you know, and that all grows out of you could say the community and the the network of, of the people involved. Yeah. And talking about spirit and intangible value and just, you know, people having everybody in the right place at the right time, DeFi summer was definitely one of those moments in the history of crypto. Uh, I and mean, I was going to ask you what was so magical about DeFi summer in your opinion, and how has that magic influenced the development of sub DAOs? Yeah, I was, I mentioned this a little bit earlier, right? That this is basically, yeah the blueprint for how we're designing uh, SubDAO token farming, essentially, right? So the goal is basically to try to create a, a DeFi summer that never ends and that doesn't blow up because that was kind of the problem and with the DeFi summer. summer, right? That, yeah, I mean, the problem was that uh, like the, the industry discovered this new amazing primitive or new amazing idea, which is you can make yield more fun, right? You can gamify yield. You can gamify, I don't know, you can gamify banking, right? It gamify savings, uh, this sort of, so it, it, it's just, I mean, it's just, it's fun, right? Like it's a, people would do it because they were kind of emotionally compelled to do it because it looked cool and it was something new and, and there was like a reward, you know. Um, and then the problem was that it's such a tempting uh, proposition to then take that power and use it for bad, right? Use it for evil uh, by turning it, by using it for, for like a Ponzi scheme or something, right? So the problem with DeFi Summit was the yields were crazy high, which is just, you can't, you can't do that. Like that is against the laws of financial gravity, right? Um, somebody's got to pay for that crazy high yield. And then that ended up being those who thought they were getting it most of the time, right? They were the ones who were paying for it ultimately. Um, and then you do that yeah. enough times and it ends, right? It's over. You fleeced as many people as you can fleece and nobody's going to fall for it anymore. Um, so with subdows and with subdow farming, what we want to create is we want to kind of try to recreate the fun without, um, you know, the unsustainably high yields, right? So when you, when you farm a subdow, the goal is that it shouldn't have like crazy 
outrageous yield because that's impossible. It can at best have like a you know a bit higher yield than than cash yield because you're getting something that's volatile. So just through like sort of like natural you know financial equilibrium, uh, people will I mean sort of an, a rational actor will accept a lower stable yield than a, they'll you know then they'll take a volatile yield right. Um, so so the yield I mean so the subdot token yields will be probably be like slightly higher than what you can get um, in in like in sort of in, ge- in the general rates environment. Um, but that's not really the main driver for why somebody would be farming a subdow. The main thing would be, it's like, it's like a question of identity or something like that, right? It's like, I'm farming the subdow because I'm totally into, you know, Japanese culture, right? That's one of the subdows actually we're experimenting with. That. That's, and that's, I mean, that is the most experimental in a sense, right? That we're saying, look, let's try to make like a Japanese subdow. Uh, and see if that gets people excited, right? Um, but I mean, certainly uh, the Japanese crypto community are pretty uh, sold on this, right? I mean, so they're, I mean, so so probably you'd have a lot of Japanese crypto users trying to figure out how to use DeFi, how to use Dai, how to farm this uh, subdow because it's like it's not about they're financially optimizing and being rational and sitting with like spreadsheets and calculators and you know, figuring it all out, right, to try to get some extra percentage yields, right? It's it's an emotional decision, right, that it's actually fun. It's, there's a sense of community. There's a sense of, you know, uh, possibilities and so on, right? And that's what drives people to actually do it and get into it. And I ultimately think that that's, in the end, I mean, that's what we can offer with crypto for the most part to the real world. Like, you know, we like most people don't care. Like, nobody cares about decentralization, right? Everybody who cares about it, they're already deep in crypto long ago, right? Absolutely nobody out there <laughs> cares at all, right? So it's a total non-starter if you want to get people into crypto, right? And like nobody cares about like lower fees and like, ooh, like the reality is it's, it's so difficult and mentally costly and like people have limited time and nobody wants to, you know, hurt their brain to save some fees or whatever the thing that people like nerds in crypto think this is what the people want, right? Like if you want to get people into crypto, you have to really, you got to actually sort of hit their weak spot, right? You've got to give them some kind of real reason for why they should want to do it. That isn't just you telling them what you, like what they should want, right? Um, you've got to figure out what they actually want. And so again, the subdows, because they're, we can have so many of them, they can all differentiate and they can try to basically target different um vibes right different brands different cultures and see if there's an interest in people to be like you know oh you know DAO tokens means that i can actually connect with and and collaborate with and synergize with other people that are similar to me and we can do all sorts of cool stuff that you know in a in a type of organization that's never been possible before that's the kind of way i think you you've got to look at to try to onboard people into DeFi. Got it. And Rune, I just want to take it back to MakerDAO itself and how it plans to approach the subdao model. I see that in the MakerDAO Discord, there are a pretty long list of core units, such as the data insights, the uh, growth, uh, Oracle, risk, and all of these core units. Are they going to remain in the core DAO, or do you see them also spinning off into subdaos as well? Yeah, so actually the core units, uh, almost all of them have actually already 
essentially been restructured uh, into what we now call projects. So um, the core unit model, I mean, so that it's actually just like uh -huh. outdated that you've got a list of, of core units. But, but on the other hand, I mean, mostly the new projects, um, which are basically uh, sort of work streams run by companies. Uh, the companies who run these projects mostly are just the old core units for now, right? And the projects themselves are still not very well uh, managed in the sense that they're not, you know, well, um, uh, like uh, scoped out. Right. So it's still not very clear what anybody's doing. Um, and, and for, to a large extent, like a lot of the work is done on like a, on like a reputational basis, right. That this, this team has been doing this forever and it didn't fall apart. So we'll just keep paying them to do it. Right. But that all needs to change. So like, I mean, I was talking about that earlier, right. That that's like, that simply is not going to fly for soft house. Uh, then they will just, they'll just be tragic, you know, be a disaster too. And super frustrating if sub DAOs are like, again, like, uh, you know, money, money, uh, funnels that dump money into a black hole and you hope for the best, right. That's going to create a lot of very bad stories, right. Of people that are, that will be burned by this approach. So we need to completely overhaul the workforce into one where all of the projects are being done like they're not exclusive to a specific company. They are being done by whichever company is the best fit for doing that project and what the project aims to achieve and the resources it's going to, to cost to get there. That needs to be very, very clearly spelled out and very transparent. The problem is that's not, I mean, the problem is that is simply not easy. And there's a, and I mean, and it's a huge bureaucratic and administrative burden to scope out all these requirements, right? And write it down and get people to understand what it means and then verify it after the fact. So it does, I mean, there's a lot of additional overheads that will need to be added to get this done. But the flip side is you can also then save a lot of bloat. Like this also means now you're going to eliminate a lot of work that is essentially being done for no reason, right? By people that are just getting free money and then they just start like digging holes kind of, right? Like they just do whatever it takes and they'll just take the money and, and you know, there's no control of whether that money and those resources and that work is actually going towards anything meaningful for the DAO, right? And that's what you then, that's the upside of adding all of this extra overhead to, uh, to all the projects and all the funding that's happening. Yeah. Talking about the rules of sub DAOs and making sure everyone's aligned, how do you prevent yourself from creating too many rules and creating friction in the process? Uh, I don't, I mean, uh, I guess, uh, at the, so, uh, you know, I get, you could generalize this question to something like, why is the end game plan so complicated? Right. Or like, why is there so many rules and so much stuff? Right. And so basically, uh, the answer is basically that the entire design of the plan is, is just, is based around having a theoretical answer to every obvious theoretical problem that, that exists. So you can try to create some like a, a you know, an equilibrium that is maintained through alignment mm. engineering that isn't going to fall apart. Um, so the answer is that like, I mean, there's just, there's as few roles as there can be without it falling apart in some, like without being, without making it possible to construct a, a, a sort of a, like a theoretical argument for how it's going to fail. Right. So something like, like, why are there both, delegates and voter committees, which is, I mean, it doesn't even matter. It's like a, you know, it's like a bureaucratic thing that nobody has to care about, but there are like two types of actors that exist 
to do to have different responsibilities at sort of the different end of I don't know call it like a kind of a, 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 a like like just sort of like a kind of a power spectrum where one type of actor has very very strong um, uh, sort of uh, formal power but then doesn't have a lot of discretionary day-to-day power. Um, and then on the other end, you got someone that ha- that sort of runs the day-to-day, but then doesn't have a very uh, significant kind of actual um, uh, sort of formal power, right? Um, and then these two, you like what you achieve by having multiple roles like this is you achieve separation of powers, right? Um, and that is a very solid model to try to reduce basically uh, a you know a kind of um death spiral you could think of it right where you get this like consolidation of power in all into one right and it's, i mean it's actually a classic logic from democracies right that you want separation of powers you've got the yeah yeah you know the drill right you you, you have all these like proven models in the real world and I mean, a lot of it is, is taking inspiration from that, but then also applying it to sort of very specific theoretical scenarios of how things can go wrong and how things can fail. And mm-hmm. um, a key part, again, of the system is this thing, you want to write everything down. So I was talking about that earlier, right? You want to have these like scenarios, like what happens in this situation, what happens in that situation. So mm-hmm. it's also that every single role that exists needs to have this very rich uh, data describing what it's supposed to do in all these different scenarios, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And then kind of, I mean, and, and then where you get with all this basic infrastructure then is now you get a system that's going to not just fall fall over and die, like kind of every DAO, uh, like, you know, every single DAO that exists today, yeah. the reason why it doesn't fall mm-hmm. over and die is because there's some kind of clique at the, you know, inside a clique that's keeping it alive, right? And, and but basically without that, it, it simply cannot really survive on its own, right? And And this system then, attempts to basically create an equilibrium where that's not going to happen because you've got all these mm. very carefully designed roles keeping each other in check basically then on top of that you can you can have each sub reference then they can invent all sorts of like additional roles like contributors that do different stuff or whatever and then the, but the mm. basic sort of low level governance process will, will will remain the same right of like you you you've got this basic separation of powers around how do you propose ideas and how do you decide on ideas and then how do you execute them yeah. And speaking of one of the first uh, sub DAOs, Sakura DAO, I have to ask, what is the inspiration for it? Because I'm not sure if you're familiar, but this shirt is basically my brand. Whenever I go to conferences, people recognize me from Arizona. I actually have a an Arizona tattoo. And I'm just like wondering, did I like have any inspiration on that? <laughs> like, or did you know about this before? Because when I saw Sakura DAO, I'm like, whoa, like this is like literally me. And Sakura kind of reminds me of Flywheel a bit in terms of like both like the community aspects, like Sakura, the community aspect of Maker and Endgame and then uh, Flywheel, the community aspect of Frax. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I saw you were wearing the Sakura shirt, but so actually, <laughs> I, so I didn't, it, it's, uh, it's uh, what do you call it? Conversion evolution. Um, yeah, yeah, but yeah. <laughs> I can tell you the story, right? So, mm-hmm. so a key thing of a key uh, driver of like subtitles and how we got excited about it, um, like for, you know, from the start. I mean, for it's been many years now, right? Since we've been we started talking about it, right? And so a key thing is that during the last crypto bubble, Maker sort of disappeared, right? And everybody forgot about Maker, and a big reason is because 
the maker community so is very boring essentially it's like very conservative and it was kind of designed to be like that right it was seated in that way uh, people took it very seriously like in fact too seriously right so you've got a lot of drama because everybody thinks it's so freaking serious so they are sort of struggling over power and control over something that actually isn't as big as they think but they just sort of in their in in our heads it just became so big and important even before whatever right uh, and the, I mean, and, and the point is that, that that ended up then, I mean, it became sort of a, uh, like a self-destructive po- uh, prophecy in a sense where this boring, self-important, uh, you know, uh, uh, sort of arrogant, uh, vibe in the community res- meant it couldn't grow. Right. Cause that's super, po- nobody wants to go there when, when they're so freaking boomer and boring. Right. And then everybody went to mm-hmm. the Ponzi's instead and got burnt. Right. And then, uh, <laughs> you know, they just left right those people, right? So we just lost a lot of people that could have been in crypto if Maker hadn't been so freaking boring and self-righteous, right? If instead we had actually been able to to appeal to the new generation of people in crypto, right? That want something a little bit more fun than pretending to be central bankers, right? Um, anyway, so, but the problem is we just, we just don't have that. I mean, we've had a really hard time with that in Maker because it's just not in our blood. Like Maker is just, we've always been boring and we sort of, you know, we always... In the early days of Maker, we would like talk about how, yeah, Maker has succeeded when it's boring. You know, that's what it's all about. Like it should just be like stable, you know, reliable, and then that should be it, right? That's the that's the goal. But it turns out, no, you've got to figure out how to do growth as well, right? Um, and so anyway, so the subdows is like, I mean, so because that's not really possible in the core DAO, and it's also it is also dangerous, right? To have like a fun DAO managing billions of dollars, right? And then let's do a little fun little thing, and then whoops, all the money's gone, right? That's, of course, completely out of the question, right? You can't have anything like that, right? But with the subdials, suddenly the door's open to let's kind of segregate away the risk, right? So if a community wants to be more casual and fun and so on, I mean, it's not going to be able to somehow damage the, you know, the very critical core function of the system, right? Sandbox. Okay, and so... So that's, so we're always talking about that. And we always talk about, we have the spectrum of subdials that there'll be on one hand, there'll be this like banker subdial, right? That's all about like real assets and legal stuff. And the really kind of like the, taking the boring to the next, even like making it even like corporate, right? And just go all in on that kind of stuff because that's great. A lot of people love that, right? That's what they like about crypto is it has a lot of, uh, you know, it has a lot of, of use cases in it for institutions and TradFi and so on, right? And then on the other end of the spectrum, we had this thing, we always called it the Doge DAO, right? So we're looking at like Dogecoin. That's like, mm. you know, what if Maker could be like Dogecoin and you could attract people and get them excited and have, having fun like Dogecoin, right? But instead of being a useless meme coin, it's a real product, right? So that was like this archetype, like let's have a, a sub DAO that's just all about really being really fun and, and spreading memes and so on. And... But, it, but the thing is, like, something like Doge is too extreme. Like, we, that could not realistically be pulled off by Maker because we're simply not that fun, you know. So that's like, that would be too, that would be going too far, right? So um, then because, I mean, uh, yeah, basically we, we have this uh, sort of pivot towards Asia, right? This major focus on Asia because of the good regulatory environment in Japan and Korea and, and Singapore and other places in Asia. Um we basically just got inspired to like realize that Japan has this very unique global brand that it's one of the, yes, yeah, it's, it's something really interesting about, 
uh, Japan that is, is cat. I mean, I, I explained it through some memes uh, when mm-hmm. I first announced the Corridor, right? That there, there is this like idea that stuff from Japan is just more interesting to, to some people. There's some people that's very attracted to it, right? Um, there's this like sense of quality and also like quirky, very unique uh, art and, and sort of uh, artistic expression and cultural expression, right? So that's mm-hmm. uh, something I realized that like, this is a perfect kind of a little bit more low risk attempt at creating a sort of fun uh, sub DAO, right? Um, because I mean, and then there's another aspect to it, which is the like the regional focus element of sub DAOs, right? That sub DAOs can very, uh, like they're also very good at being positioned for different regions, right? So with this, we get sort of two uh, birds to one stone, right? That we both get this sort of fun, uh, this this brand, I mean, this, yeah, like high brand value, high signal brand thing and a regional focus at the same time. Uh, yeah, that's that's the long wind story of uh, yeah. the theory behind I it. actually, I read a, a thread somewhere on Twitter a few months ago about how Japan and the U.S. are the two most successful at mass exporting their culture far and wide. And no other country has been able to replicate that at scale. I'll send it to you after the show, but it was... It was by Marco Jukic. It was really interesting. Uh, Rune, I just got a, a final question on my end. Was there a moment at MakerDAO or another project where you're just like, fuck all this DAO shit. I want to do a reset. <laughs> like, what was the straw that broke the camel's proverbial back that made you do this? And yeah, the funny thing is actually it happened at the, like, it happened at the top of the... Like, so, you know, so what happened in Maker was we shut down the foundation. We transitioned to the core unit model. And I was sort of out of the the project, actually, right? So I sort of left uh, and, and stopped being very active because mm-hmm. that's what I always wanted, right? I always wanted to be less, have to less, spend less time on Maker. Um, and then as I did, I just realized it was just all going terribly badly, right? So we had the core unit model was just really, really bad, basically. And it, especially during the bull, the bull run, um, because like Maker was sort of, I mean, Maker was sort of not performing, uh, not really getting attention. So the instinct was to like spend left and right on like random crap that was somehow try to show that, that I mean, fr- try to catch up with all these like, what turns mm-hmm. out to all be like freaking ponties, right? That weren't doing anything. Um, and, and, but I, it was just so clear that, I mean, this whole thing of like the politicians and the money, uh, the money uh, funnels and all of that, right? And the the money taps uh, and all the negative dynamics of that. And that made me actually just completely write off DAOs and crypto in general. Like I was just like, so basically at the peak of the bull market, I was like ready to just like be like, okay, this, this is a joke industry that doesn't work and I'm just going to leave. And this is like, it's a dead end. Nothing's going to, you know, I was totally done with it basically. Mm-hmm. Totally blackpilled. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I was like, I was, I was ready to go. But then I realized I couldn't freaking leave. Because, uh, you know, I was the only major voter in Maker, right? So it was like the, the <laughs> curse of, of uh, yeah, of like a voter. I mean, the problem itself, it meant that actually I couldn't, uh, I couldn't really sell my tokens because as I started selling them, they, they would become worthless, right? Like I'd only be able to sell a small amount and then they would just, like I would risk the whole thing going to zero, right? Um, so basically I just, I realized I had no choice. I had to like fix it. But yeah, I mean, turns out it was it was which, lucky because which Ponzi I think was it? Yeah, which one? Which Ponzi broke the? What do you mean? Which back? Ponzi? 
<laughs> like which Ponzi when you yeah. saw and you're just like, okay, all this shit is a scam. It's over. I'm leaving. Well, every single, I mean, they're all fucking Ponzi's. There's nothing. It wasn't a freaking Ponzi. It's all Ponzi. I mean, <laughs> like, I mean, I mean, it's totally insane, right? It's like, if you look at what exists now on the other side of the bubble, it's the same as what existed before the bubble. It's like DeFi 1.0, right? It's like Maker and Aave and Uniswap and like a few other usual suspects. Absolutely nothing of what came during the bubble was um, survived, right? It was like the whole thing was a was a giant scam, basically. Mm. You know, yeah. like it, it rightfully made people say crypto is just a scam because it it was everything people got exposed to was a scam. Like there was nothing real at all whatsoever. Even like freaking NFTs. I mean, they're all freaking scams, I think. Right. I mean, some of them were like legit, but like all like <laughs> you just see it over and over again. It's just I mean, it's I, like we're it a really new collection, is, uh, new NFTs, this and that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's tragic, right? Because the thing is that the technology like can really blockchain technology can can really do so much good in fact it really can be i mean it is uh, as transformative as something like ai i think right uh, and it's it's really gonna change the world for the better but it's actually it's because it's so crazy powerful because what it does is it it disrupts money right and it disrupts value and, and capitalism um and then because it's it's too powerful like it's like you know, it's like raw power. And then what happens is the people who get attracted to that are like uh, bad people, basically. Right? It's like dynamite. Has all the, could yeah. be used for good. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. So it's just, uh, and but it's like, it's so much more easy to use it for bad, right? So what happens is 99% mm -hmm. of it is all scams and bad stuff. And, and most people in crypto are bad people. Like there's so many freaking bad people in this industry. Like it's it's incomparable to, to anything else I've worked with. Like, it's uh, yeah, it's like a total joke, right? But but the thing, I mean, I'm hoping that uh, also like I don't, you know, people can can uh, grow up a bit, right, and learn from this reality that look, I mean, if you're going to be a sheep and going to let yourself get scammed, then you're in this new world. I mean, with crypto and now with I don't know, freaking AI and deep fakes and so on, right? You just like like hum humanity will have to adapt to the fact that scamming is now such a weaponized streamlined optimized thing right that just just there's gonna be no escape so yeah um i mean that, that's gonna have to happen and then you've you've gotta have things like maker and subdows and everybody else that are doing legit things in crypto need to freaking get out of their seat and and uh, actually figure out how to appeal to users right yeah. instead of like resting on the laurels in the corner and then let all the users get fleeced by uh, by the scammers and speaking of projects that have made it through the bull and are, you know, building during the bear and, you know, attracting real use and users, uh, I want to turn to Frax a bit because recently um, it was you had lunch with Sam K and it sounded like like you guys really bonded and hit it off. Um, and I'm just like wondering, um, you know, what are your thoughts on Frax and um, how how have you what are your thoughts of it in evolving over, you know, the past bowl and into the current market? Yes, I've been talking to Sam from Frex uh, for a long. I mean, so he was one of the people I talked to originally about Endgame and Subdout and so on. Because, yeah, I was like trying to seek out, um, you know, uh, some of the, like some people of this new generation uh, that that uh, that understood these new the new mathematics of uh, of the, the bull run or whatever, right? And, the, the new paradigm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but. Uh, 
Yeah. So, um, and I think, I mean, I think it's really smart, right? I, I th- uh, so, uh, in Maker, we had sort of our own version of this fundamental idea of Rex, which is that you want to like, you know, you want to combine all the top business models and sort of, um, I mean, for us, it's like, you know, it's the like governance is the hard part. So like, if you can figure that out, you want to, you, there's a lot of things you can do with it. Right. Uh, which is a little, I mean, it's a bit similar to this idea, right? That uh, Sam always says, uh, all roads lead to Frex, right? Which we're somewhat seeing. I mean, we're yes. seeing it play out now with like a bunch of projects starting stable coins, right? Which I think is, which I basically agree with. And I think that's the right thing to do. Um, I mean, the, the, the comment I have about Frex is like the, I mean, as this is also something Sam continuously talks about, right? That the, the problem with the, like the challenge for the project right now is that it's under collateralized, right? So it's like, it's still an algorithmic stable coin basically. Uh, and it needs to, yeah, it needs to like, uh, I mean, you can't count on, on a bull run coming back and saving the day. So, so the project needs to itself, uh, re-collateralize, um, you know, luckily it's in a, it's not like we're not, I mean, it does have real assets. Um, but it's really like, like, I mean, that's the, that's the, you know, that's the billion dollar question for Frex, right? Like that, that needs to be the top priority for everything. And I think if that can be successfully achieved, I mean, I think that that will require this uh, intangible value, right? I mean, that's not, you know, like in, in the, in the traditional world, it's not possible to like be insolvent and then coming back from the brink, uh, that doesn't happen in, in real life. Right. Like that's maybe possible in crypto because of basically the value of community and the value of, of like of tokens. And, and, you know, I mean, if, you know, if you look at meme coins and Dogecoin or whatever, and Bitcoin, right? Like the risk, there is this very real, very significant value that exists in communities and having the right people together. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, so if that is, a, you know, if Frax achieves that, if it survives in the long run, that's, uh, that's going to be a huge testament to that, um, you know, the, the, basically the power of, of uh, intangible value, right? And this new, yeah, this new thing that we have um, to basically play with in crypto, right? That, that really sets us apart from traditional finance. Mm-hmm. And in terms of Flywheel, could you see Flywheel, like what we're doing here at Flywheel becoming a sub-DAO or something similar to Flywheel becoming a sub-DAO in the future? Uh, so the way sub-DAOs work, in maker right and i think and i really believe that this is this is the right model like so i'm hoping that once like nobody of course at this stage nobody understands how we're doing subtitles it's like there's too many things to try to understand with maker already and then there's like mm-hmm. end game and subtitles on top of that so it's very hard to like for anybody to to know or even even if you're told the details to remember them right but uh, but once you see the action i think it will it will change the game and it will become like the new meta Hopefully, because I think it's so much better than how uh, DAOs and, and are, are treated today, right? So, um, the thing about maker sub DAOs is nobody becomes a sub DAO, and you know nothing existing defines a new sub DAO, right? Instead, it's like sub DAOs are just total blank slates. So they're like created uh, from nothing by maker algorithmically, right? So it's like there's not even a human that or even a governance decision or something that creates a sub dial it is just so created uh periodically based on an algorithm 
And then the tokens are farmed out, you know, 100% fair launch, right? Like the only way to obtain the tokens, the genesis distribution of the tokens is through farming. And then the people who farm it, they then decide what to do basically, right? So that means everybody's got a fair shot, like, uh, you know, and, and all of these existing, uh, these these initial subdials like Sakura, right? Which is Japan focused or Spark, which is this, uh, you know, deep DeFi and deep tech focused uh, subdial. Um, like they have a kind of an angle and a brand and stuff already. But the reality is if enough people farm the tokens, they can just override all that and be like, nope, we're going to do something else instead, right? Um, and there's already this sort of dynamic happening where um, because we created uh, Sakura DAO, right? It was like, look, we'll have a sub DAO that is like Japan focused. Then the Korean community were like, well, uh, we're going to make Spark into the Korean sub DAO. So there's this sort of uh, the kind of... Um, um, yeah, like, like uh, you know, emergent beha- behavior, right? Of like that, that the Korean community is already now being like, okay, well, we're going to organize. So everybody's going to farm the Spark subdial so that we make sure that we can make it, you know, have it be heavily like aligned with, with Korea and, and, uh, and, you know, maybe have governance available in Korean and, and products in Korean and so on. Um, so... Are subdows a hundred percent fair launch? Is there any allocation to the core DAO of tokens, or is it just a hundred percent distributed at Genesis? Yeah, they're actually much deeper linked than through um, allocation to tokens. So it's literally—I mean—so the core DAO forever has the ability. I mean, forever will just always emit more subdow tokens. Um, so that's something that's, I guess, that's more valuable than owning tokens is owning the ability to forever print more tokens, right? Uh, But in return, uh, subdows always as well forever receive um, emissions from maker call as well. So it's it's this very deeply uh, linked dynamic, right? That subdows really are never, like they're always intertwined with maker no matter what. Oh, so the, so maker can mint new subdow tokens and in, yeah, you're, that's and well. That, it's not a governance yeah. decision. It's know, it's yeah. fully. Auto, oh, okay. I mean, it's totally automatic. Nobody's okay. able to change the parameters whatsoever. Right? It's just forever. Uh, every sub DAO is always emitting new tokens that go towards token farming uh, with the uh, the common uh, stablecoin. Oh, okay. I I got it. So um, how does the sub DAO build a small enough treasury or a budget? to manage expenses and everything like that. It was just emitted via emissions. Yeah, so that's because it gets a subsidy from MakerCall. So yeah, gets- initially every subdial gets, it's like the equivalent of, of 3,333 MKR. Right, I saw that for Sakura, yeah. I see. Yeah. So and, that's the case for all of them, the and then time? that's like there. No, so that's just permanent. So every single year they just get MKR tokens. Uh, and that's like their baseline income you could say right so that does change you know there's a bunch of phases of end game right so this 3333 mkr equivalent uh that is um that is like a temporary initial uh parameter and it then changes to something that's more complicated basically when when the full end game uh is is uh, activated um because yeah basically the initial so the initial mechan- mechanism is relatively simple and then really the end state mechanism is very very advanced because it needs to be able to handle the creation of new subdows continuously 
which then requires all the parameters to be a lot more uh, dynamic. Mm. So there's an equal. And maybe, yeah, yeah, maybe something I should also mention now that we're talking about all this is that um, so the very first phase before even the launch of Subhouse is also the rebrand of Maker, right? So we'll have a. Uh, I mean, so MKR and Dai will stick around as tokens, but the mm -hmm. project overall will will basically rebrand, uh, and we'll have two new tokens that currently are referred to as new stable and new gov token. Um, and then, I mean, they'll they'll get a real brand when when uh, the um, basically the contributors are done developing it, right? With some big fancy brand agencies, right? So we're really trying we're really trying hard to. Make the project more any, appealing. Any hints of like what the brand is? Like, you give like any clues? No, but no. Uh, but it's a it, well. I mean, but mainly, it, I mean, the goal is to make it more simple and appealing to regular people, right? It really is. We want to try to to drive more people into crypto, right? And and think about how to make it. Yeah, I mean, something like Dai and MKR, and I mean, so many projects in crypto are so like focused on doing stuff for crypto, right? They look at what do, what are people in crypto already doing and then they try to deliver to that. And I mean, that is actually the right way for like most people who are building in crypto. That's what they should be doing because I mean, that's where they can realistically try to reach a market, right? But something like Maker has already, um, like we've already sort of saturated that market, right? And we actually have the capability to try to go uh, beyond. And if you look at like the ones that have really sort of branched out and are actually have sort of, you could say non-crypto users, uh, you know, that's obviously, that's USDC and USDT, right? And I mean, their whole thing is they got USD in the name of the token and then people understand it. And unfortunately, we don't think we can do that. That's too risky. I mean, it's too risky for us basically to try to call uh, something that ultimately isn't, you know, directly a, a, a USD equivalent. Um, you, you shouldn't call something like that USD directly, but you can sort of make it more... Um, yeah, you can just try to make the brain more simple and freaking die at least, right? Which is not exactly uh, very, uh, you know, very insider, right? Like very, uh, I don't know what to call it, right? Yeah, it's a total, I mean, it's an arbitrary name, right? And then mm -hmm. we wanted more more uh, straightforward and, and uh, yeah. So consumer uh, friendly, but then, friendly. then the thing right. is, good. yeah, it's more friendly, right? It's gotta be friendly. Um, and and also we want the brand for the DAO to be the same as the stablecoin, right? So you'd want something like Maker Maker Dollar and Maker DAO, right? Instead of two completely separate um, tokens. And then the DAO token, and this is also the really big one, right? Is then going to be it's going to be redenominated. So like one MKR will become twelve thousand of these new uh, these new new, new Gov token. Which is, I mean, and that's a really big one also in terms of just trying to make it actually appealing and inviting to like regular people. Because um, like the low supply of MKR was actually, believe it or not, it was deliberately chosen to push like to, to push people away and gatekeep people to not hold the token. Because we thought <laughs> we were a bunch of like geniuses who were like going to sit in an ivory tower and like, oh, we only want people who want to role play central bankers to, uh, to hold this token, right? So, I mean, and that's great, you know, so yeah, it did, did absolutely create this very, um, you know, you could say sophisticated elite community of, with, with people that are actually, you know, like, well, with not too much noise, right? But the downside was then it like, yeah, meant that everybody, you know, nobody cared about it when the big bubble happened and then everybody got fleeced by the scams, right? And Luna or whatever. 
because we just couldn't appeal at all because I mean, everything was set up to put, keep people out, right? We're just kind of dumb. So, so the new system basically, yeah, like, I mean, the new brand, the new setup is very much like, yeah, the system is extremely solid and super theoretical, right? And absolutely crazy complex under the hood. Um, but as a normal person who are interested in it, you shouldn't have to know all that stuff, right? It should actually be possible for something like that to feel simple and be fun and kind of like, you know, I mean, one of the ways we've talked, we think of it as like, you know, if you start playing out World of Warcraft or something, right? Then that game is stupidly complex, right? There's like 10 trillion things. But if you're like playing it from the beginning, you don't, it's fine because it's not all like in your face all at once from the beginning. You have a kind of a path you can go down, right? And if you don't want to go to all the crazy stuff, you don't have to, right? You can stay with the simple fun stuff, right? And that's that's how a DAO and a DeFi ecosystem should be, right? That really, mostly it should be appealing to, to, to regular people and be really simple. And you shouldn't expect people to go much deeper than that, right? I mean, nobody cares for the most part, right? Uh, if you do care, it should also be easy to go deeper down the rabbit hole, right? But But it shouldn't be presented as like, you know, if you're not willing to like go all the way and 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 commit your your life to this, you know, club of nerds, then uh, you know you're not welcome, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's a yeah, that's a really um, unproductive way to to try to actually you know to build a community because that's another thing. I mean, the final thing is really like, um, like DAOs just always benefit from being big. It's all about scale, right? So that's a big problem with this attitude of like, let's gatekeep who can be in the community. Let's keep away the bad apples and only get the good people because you're also going to keep away a lot of good apples. And now you you have a smaller community and that's going to make you more weak. Um, And really, yeah, it's all about scaling. Yeah. Um, One final question on my end, and then I think we're going to wrap up. So when Endgame is all said and done, let's say it's complete and it's, you know, gone, went beyond expectation. It's, you know, ideal world. What does the Endgame world look like? Well, so, I mean, so it really is, I mean, it's sort of all the stuff we talked about, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I think of, obviously there's a bunch of technical features like subdials and some uh, fancy staking uh, mechanics. Uh, and then there's like the, the new chain, we call it, right? The whole thing will the run on chain. its own. Yeah. Yeah. The whole thing will run on its own, like dedicated blockchain to sort of run the back end of all of this. So it's very, very efficient, very advanced tokenomics and tokens and uh, that are then bridged out to Ethereum and, and other uh, major blockchains. Um, so, I mean, so as an end user, you still you don't you don't notice any difference right you just it's just it's just more effective and more efficient or whatever but um but it wouldn't it's not going to change how it, like adding an extra cha- i mean the right way to do do blockchains is that you you shouldn't care about where the blockchain is or whatever and if you want to do something on a particular blockchain it should be available there right but then it will just um like uh maker itself will end up sort of uh, sitting on this single blockchain that lets it then connect to all other blockchains uh, and then yeah run its backend a very uh, high performance and do some other stuff related to governance security and yeah that nobody cares about but um, uh, like I mean the real challenge right so the thing is I mean this is all a bunch of technical things stuff that actually nobody I mean that's most people will not care or understand that right like 
the bigger challenge that is like the bigger thing for us is, um, I mean, solving this problem that we were talking about with contributors, right? They're like trying to actually make it so that a DAO really is a place where that feels like if you're not, if you're a person and you just want to be a part of a DAO, you can buy a token and now you're a part of it. And you're not like an outsider and you're not in the insider group you know, whatever you, if you got some tokens, you've got some voting power and that should make a difference. It should, you should be able to, to influence the DAO, right? Um, and, and, and you shouldn't feel like you're getting ripped off by the insider contributors or that you have to know somebody to be able to get anything done or whatever, right? Like that would really be the ideal end state, right? That we try to, to achieve a new form of human organization, right? Where you have this more marginal ability to contribute and, and more sort of fluid, uh, inclusive way for people to to work together to create value, because that's yeah, there's a lot of uh, potential in that, right? And there, there's a, mm -hmm. it, it can I mean it can both fix things in like the Western world where like the large institutions that are totally broken here can be, you know, can be improved through this way, right? By making them more open, um, and but also it can be an organizing force in in the developing world, right? And and sort of help people like sub DAOs and the sub DAO structure and this whole possibility. I mean, just the fact that you can show it's possible in Maker will mean that it can be replicated in, in other mm -hmm. situations, right? And and that's gonna also maybe uh, enable people that today don't have strong legal systems or something to then still be able to organize and 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 get things done in a way that's not currently possible. Yeah. So that's what yeah. I'm hopeful for. Yeah, I'm really excited to see it play out uh, and see it become, it'd be really cool if it does become the, the new meta. And then you have this new self-organizing, self-perpetuating system that's not just in Maker, but in all different types of protocols and DAOs and whatnot. Um, and uh, with that, we use, and we're, with that, we are to the lightning round. So at the end of every interview, we like to uh, say some more fun, lighter questions, like get to know you as the person, the person behind the profile picture. Uh, but it is your profile picture. But Kit, go ahead. So we'll always kick this off with what was the first time you touched the blockchain? What was your virgin crypto experience? And sex doesn't count. Probably I I bought some Bitcoin in like 2011, I think. That is okay. early. So yeah, and I yeah. think I, I transferred out to a wallet. Yeah, but something I played around with Bitcoin really early on. Nice. Second question: What is your favorite off-chain touch grass activity, hobbies, and interests? Uh, probably like playing with my kids or something, you know, I don't have much time <laughs> walking yeah. the dog or playing the, with the kids or yeah, I don't, I don't have a uh, real uh, hobbies too much anymore. Um, what would be some advice to your younger self? Uh, you know, I, I was very much, I think a lot of people have this, well, maybe not so much nowadays, but for my generation uh, getting into like tech and then especially crypto, there was this sense of like tech is everything, coding is everything. Um, and that was how I first approached startups and innovation. Um, and it turns out that, I mean, remember some like old wise people were like telling me this advice, like, look, the human side is just as important. In fact, it's probably more important. And I just couldn't, you know, you always look for, for 
easy answers to complex questions. So, so for me, that was like, oh yeah, just every, if you just have some good coders and good tech, then that solves everything. And that turns out to be a total disaster. And that's like set up, that mentality set up a lot of the challenges we had in Maker that, that held us back that I, I'm now basically finally sort of in a, in a situation where I can attempt to, to over, like overcome and solve that. And last question for me is, if you weren't in crypto or tech, what would your professional career path be? Game development. So I'm actually also in game development. So I love it. That's, um, I love the games industry and it's like, yeah, I think it's a lot better than crypto, you know, <laughs> <So> <laughs> the problem is it's very hard to, I mean, uh, well, I also think, I don't think necessarily it's so easy to make it in crypto either nowadays, you know, it's an older industry now as well, but of course that's definitely also the case in, in gaming, but, uh, yeah, that's, a it's a freaking huge industry. Um, and yep. there's a lot of, I used to yeah, build Roblox a lot of cool things happening. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things happening with like, uh, unreal five and, 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 uh, a new, new, uh, right. technical uh, solution stuff yeah. coming out. Yeah. And one last question for me, uh, who do you want to see on flywheel next? Who would you recommend as a guest? Maybe Stani. I always recommend. He's the one I always Stani. recommend whenever people say, "Yeah, we, what's up? What else is up in, uh, in crypto?" Uh, I think, uh, yeah. Yeah, we'd love to yeah, have. It's hard Stani to on. top. It's hard <laughs> to top it after you talk to me. You know. Yeah, the, honestly. You know, <laughs> that's, that's, uh, <laughs> nice. Yeah, and he's yeah. humble. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah Rune, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, where can people find you and find more stuff about Maker? You can go to megadot.com. Uh, yeah, I mean, from there, you'll, I think you'll be able to find a Discord, which is probably the best place to keep up. But, you know, honestly, it's, it's obviously hard to keep up with Maker in the middle of this big transformation. Yeah. Then we've got uh, at MakerDAO on Discord, and then there's my, no, sorry, at MakerDAO on Twitter, and then there's my Twitter, which is at RuneKek. So Rune K E K. All right, guys. Rune, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, we hope to see you again soon. Thanks for having me. Thank you, sir. Have a nice day. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the post game. I'm your host, Defi Dave, here with Capital K, and we just concluded a very long, detailed episode going into subdows with none other than maker founder Rune Keck. We got Rune on. <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah, I can't yeah, believe it. I, I can believe it. I, I, this like really resulted in my own natural interest in subdows and this idea mm -hmm. of that, like how all comes back to like, how do you like organize and incentivize humans, especially in the crypto and web three space and Rune mm -hmm. is, attempting to go where other people haven't gone before will it work out we'll we'll see um but if there's one thing for sure it seems like rune was absolutely fed up like with crypto like he was it yeah. sounds like he, he was, was just like he was pissed <laughs> he was like it's just it's all ponzi's it's, he sounds like someone that like never was in crypto but like just like oh it's all ponzi's blah 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 but he's like he's rune he started maker and so yeah it's like he sounded really blackpilled like like I said on the podcast, Blackfield. And then because he's like, well, I have so many goddamn tokens, I'm like, might as well do something about it. And so now yeah. he's doing this uh, radical experiment with subdows. And instead of focusing on, you know, instead of, you know, as you heard, like at the end of the interview, he was like, you know, I thought it was all about the coding and being technical. Instead of 
going that route, he's like, okay, it's more about the human element and how do we incentivize humans and get everyone excited and, you know, in, you know, creating intangible value. Honestly, that was my favorite question at the end because just hearing him speak, I'm like, he has this angst and yeah. what is the source of this angst? So I had to ask him, like, what was the Ponzi that broke the camel's back, you know? And it was, all it was, yeah, it was so clear. I can't believe he said all of them. And I was like, he really said that everything happened in DeFi summer, like th this whole bubble mm -hmm. reset it, really set us back. And look who's still remaining. Like he really has that purest take on what crypto should be like. Uh, and like you said, dude, I hope his experimentation in, in DAO dynamics yeah. works and, out. Um, yeah. And it seems like during the bull run, he's right. You didn't really hear much of Maker. You just heard of all the shiny new toys because Maker was kind of this bureaucratic monolith that moved very slow. And then, you know, that had all like the politics and whatnot in it. And like, who's getting baggage. funding for what? The, all this baggage and weight. Meanwhile, these new projects were very nimble and stealthy and sexy and could do things faster. And, new coin uh, better than old coin, bro. Yeah, new, new coin better than, and had all these like fancy mechanisms, but they ended up being unsustainable. Um, and now, you know, it's interesting. Like, it's like, you know, we, we crossed the the bull market into the bear. And now, like, look what's remaining, 1.0 and Frax. DeFi 1.0 yeah. and Frax. Um, I thought it was also interesting how there's this trend of founders, like, taking a step back from their projects to decentralize. But then the project just starts falling apart or yeah. just being Did in Kane disarray. Did too? No. Yeah, yeah. So Kane did it, too. Kane, like, stepped back and then he went back yeah. in because, like, you know, it's kind of the same from thing. Synthetics, in case so folks came from, came from Synthetics, who we also had on the pod. And then uh, Kevin Owaki from Gitcoin. Oh, that's who, right. Yeah, he took a step back to, you know, to decentralize and like, I mean, in the name of decentralization. And then you had Gitcoin doing all this, these different things yeah. and whatnot. And just like, he was like, I, I got to step back in. So the road to decentralization is not a, like a clean path. And I don't know if like, I mean, the the uh, example of a founder, quote unquote, stepping away is Satoshi from Bitcoin. That's like the one that you and Charlie that, Lee and Charlie <laughs> Lee. Litecoin. Oh yeah, Charlie Lee too. <laughs> maybe it's maybe it's only proof of work coins that can you oh, step back okay. when it's when it's like these organizations <laughs> with a mission. You can't really step back, or like it's really a question of secession. Like, how do you properly have secession in a DAO for like? You know, you give, you don't just, maybe you just don't give it to the, I mean, you give it to the community, but you give it to someone to lead the the community. Like, oh, this is like, or like that person steps up naturally from the community. Mm -hmm. Dow yeah. succession plan. Yeah. No, e either way, I think this is an experiment on a grand scale. I love that he's putting real dollars behind it. Um, mm -hmm. I, I knew that there was that 3333. Three, three. Like, you know, we talked about that because I was like, what, 5 million maker at, at mm -hmm. and now, or $5 million. And I was just like, on a per year basis, uh, $5 million is like a massive budget um, for a sub DAO. And I was like, and he said he wanted a lot of sub DAOs. So I'm like, man, the, the core business needs to make so much profit to be able to keep on funding yeah. these, these sub DAO sub experiments. DAOs. So I'm very curious yeah. to see who's working out the finances in the back end. Um, yeah, and, and what what did yeah. you say, how, how were the um, sub DAOs and main DAO interlinked? Like the, it's, if they're, the main DAO supports the sub DAO and the sub DAO like emits tokens to, or no, I, I forgot this part. 
I I didn't quite understand it much except for the fact that you don't control your own supply. Oh, you don't. And it just oh, gets yeah, limited yeah, can... forever. Like yeah, the, like the yeah. core DAO mints the infinitely prints your token. Yeah, it has fully. the ability, and then yeah. you know, in return, like supports. No, no, you. no, not just the ability. It is coded in, so oh, it, it's is in, it's... it is inevitability, inevitability. that it will <laughs> that uh... it will happen. So I'm I'm curious to see who will be like. Why would you want to do a sub DAO token when you could just do a completely new DAO and maybe partner with Maker, and like still get to control your destiny while still being partnered with Maker, right? I I mean they're like required to support you though. Like I mean three thousand three hundred thirty three MKR tokens. That's like almost five million dollars. No, you no, it's, it's, it's five million dollars in, in 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 funding. Um, but also they control your destiny. Because I was also yeah. thinking, like, it's like a what if a sub DAO grew larger than the like? What Sam uh, uh, McCulloch said in our chat before this call is like, what if the sub DAO grew larger than the core DAO, and it wants to leave the core DAO? Um, is there yeah. is there a proclamation of emancipation here situation going on <laughs> where they, they they can step away? Um, I guess, but... Maybe I guess they could do something where it's like let's dissolve the treasury and then put it into a new treasury. Like, <laughs> I, I I don't know, right? These, these questions, know. especially yeah. If, let's say Maker's rebranding doesn't go well, and and somebody came up with a cleaner, much more beautiful uh, UI and branding that takes all the customers away, and they mm. actually run everything, and Maker is just a hollow shell with a beautiful tech, right? Yeah, and the. So, you know, all these things are, are kind of up for debate. But either way, I love to see this experimentation at this scale. Yeah, and Maker's just been such a pioneer in crypto. You know, first mm -hmm. DeFi project, one of the first DeFi projects, if not the first DeFi project, uh, and now experimenting with governance and social dynamics. So, yeah. you know, we'll, we'll see how it works out, Cotton. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, if you want to keep up with everything happening, in DeFi, in DAOs, in FRAX, and everything in between. You know what to do. Go to our newsletter right now at um, flywheeldefi.com. Sign up for all the latest updates. Make sure you hit that bell button and subscribe to our YouTube for all the latest videos. Leave us a comment. Let us know what you think. Give us a like. Make sure you follow us on all of our socials, Twitter, Telegram, TikTok, at flywheeldefi, for exclusive show notes to, see, to catch up with everything what Rune said. So just go back. Get a refresher. Make sure you go to Friend Tech. Get a get a key for exclusive show notes, and to follow yours truly on Twitter, it's at DeFi Day Twenty Two, and I'm at zero x capital underscore k. And we'll see you next week. Peace. Balloons. <laughs> Everything said on this episode is not financial or tax advice. This channel is strictly for educational purposes. And it's not an investment advice or solicitation to buy or sell any assets or to make any financial decisions. This video is not tax advice whatsoever. Please talk to your accountant and do your own research.